potential game winner. Crowd rising to its feet. Middleton, five seconds left in overtime. Middleton with two. Middleton, you bet! He got it! With point five to go, Chris Middleton puts the Bucks up two. Chris Middleton, isolation situation. What was the setup on that play? Um, honestly, to get him a good shot. Uh, we had him come up in the five up, but it, it, it was Trevor and came in, made a great move, went back to, to, to Duncan and shot a fadeaway. And that's what he does, man. That's what he gets paid for. That game three loss, I, 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 I was ready to be done. If I would have been a reporter at that Mike Budenholzer press conference, I would have become the person who threw the shoe at George Bush. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I wish I had a Fitbit or a, a smartwatch. Keep track of my steps. This is not really my thing. Now, I'll work out. I'll go for a nice jog. Go get a good lift in. Go for a nice long bike ride. But I, I don't keep track. Like I, I went for a jog this morning. Don't know how far I went. Don't know how fast I went. Felt good, though. Okay, well, that's that's a lie. It, felt, it was miserable. Not the point. I wish I had something on my phone. Or I wish I had a smartwatch to keep track of my steps. Because yesterday, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I walked less than like 100 feet all day. I left my house once yesterday. And it was about 20 minutes to go to the store to buy some ice cream and a box of chicken and a biscuit crackers because I wanted snacks for the late night NBA game. Utah, Memphis. I didn't do anything yesterday. I was on my couch for almost 12 straight hours. Noon to pert near midnight, just watching NBA games, watching Phil Mickelson become the oldest person ever to win a major, I don't know the exact threshold, 50 years old winning the PGA Championship. NHL playoffs are awesome. They're not really my thing, but I can appreciate them and I'll always watch a little bit. And then last night, Sunday night baseball was awesome too. Yesterday was an amazing sports day. And I think it was magnified by fans really being back. NFL season, we got a couple of fans back in the stands and baseball playoffs last year. We got some here and there, but yesterday it felt official. Like fans are back and hopefully they're back to stay. And I think that boosted the atmosphere of all of these amazing games, amazing events we had going on yesterday. I didn't leave my recliner, and I wish I had some record of it. Smartwatch, Fitbit. I don't think we're doing Fitbits anymore, are we? Like, everybody's just got an Apple Watch that keeps track of that now. I got to look into that because I want a record. I, I want some way to, to show how lazy I was on a day like yesterday. Well worth it. Amazing day of sports. Probably the best day of sports in what feels like the last two years since the pandy got started. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. It is my goal that this is the best Wisco Sports Show since the pandemic started. That's my goal every day. That's a little corny. That's, that's just not, it's not plausible. But that's my goal. That's what I shoot for. Hope you had a good weekend. There was no shortage of good sports, all sports on this weekend across multiple leagues. Even the NFL that's sitting idle. The Julio Jones rumors are swirling, right? We're always having more like betting lines being released as we're looking at win totals and and playoff futures, and MVP futures. And today, the NFL staying in the news because, well, Aaron Rodgers didn't show up to OTAs, which we all knew was going to happen, but hey, it's it's still news. So you have just about every league going at once right now in one way or another, and there was something to enjoy for everybody this last weekend. 
I'm going to do my best to get to it all today. Uh, if you're expecting NHL talk, I'm sorry. It's just not in my wheelhouse. The atmosphere looks insane. Uh, the Preds-Hurricanes game yesterday down the stretch, I watched a little bit of that after the fact. It was nuts, uh, but I can add nothing to that conversation. So sorry if you're an NHL playoffs person. Not going to get that here today, but we're going to have an awesome, awesome conversation about the Bucks. They won game one against the Heat on Saturday. It was an excellent game, as many of these first-round playoff games have been so far. I also want to talk about the Brewers. I also want to spend a couple of moments talking about what happened on Sunday Night Baseball last night for a couple of reasons. I love Sunday Night Baseball. I've been in a rhythm talking about baseball the last couple of weeks, and it was the Cubs, and there was a moment in last night's game that I just want to deep dive. Like, I want to talk about it because it was fascinating. I tweeted about it. If you're watching, you probably know what I'm talking about, and if not, you're going to have to wait till 530, all right? That's when we'll talk about that. We'll get to the Brewers before 5 o'clock, but until then, Bucks, and you're welcome to join 608 608- 7962558 send me a text or a tweet follow and tweet me at Wisco Grant if Twitter is your thing start with the bucks even though we're 2 days removed from this game this is our first chance to chat since the bucks went up 1 to nothing 109-107 overtime it was electric chris middleton hit the game winner you heard that to start the show it was awesome feel really happy for chris middleton really likable guy really a storybook ending for bucks fans um and i think Before we react to this win and talk about how it's a huge deal or talk about how we're still worried about this or talk about this or whatever, I think it's important to consider what we might be saying right now had the Bucs lost. Do you know what I mean? Before we react to the win, I think it's smart to consider what we'd be saying if they didn't win because that's needed perspective. I think that's needed background information for how we talk about this win. Let's say the Bucs lose game one. Everything else in the game remains the exact same. The Bucs shoot like crap from three. Jimmy Butler doesn't play very well. The Bucs don't hit free throws. There were a couple officiating moments. It's still in Milwaukee. Let's say everything remains the same, except Goran Dragic hits a game winner from the elbow and not Chris Middleton. Let's say that's what went down on Saturday. What would we be saying in this moment right now? As I come on the air, 402, what, what, what would we be saying as the Bucs were down zero games to one in the series? Now, If you remove the names of the teams and we just look at Team A, Team B, and we look at the numbers, this would be a relatively easy loss to dismiss. We could rationalize this. We could downplay the importance of this game for the losing team. Let's say the Bucs lose to the Heat game one. Everything remains the same. Dragic is a game winner. If you just look at the numbers and you don't factor in the narratives or the stories from the last couple of years, we could dismiss this loss offhand. It's a 1 p.m. start after a week off. The, the, the losing team shot a season-worst 5 of 31 from 3. 5 of 31 from 3. They were terrible at the free throw line. They shot 61% from the line. Based on those numbers alone, it would be easy to rationalize that loss and dismiss it and say, on to game two, everything will progress or regress to the mean, depending on which angle you're attacking it from. But knowing what we know about the Bucks, knowing what we know about the Heat, and knowing what we know about the Bucs when they play the Heat, I think if the Bucs would have lost this game on Saturday, we'd be very concerned, despite all of the numbers and statistics I just mentioned. I think if the Bucs lose this game on a buzzer beater, just flip the result, keep all the numbers the same, we would be coming in today, we'd be saying, hey, nothing has changed with Coach Bud. They didn't learn anything from last year. Giannis is still coming from the top of the key and running into the wall. They're still going under ball screens against Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. They're still losing them in space. Nothing has changed. We're doomed this is going to be a painful series. I think that's what we'd be saying today. And this win that the Bucs got on Saturday 
109-107 in overtime, I think is made even better when you consider the alternative. Because I don't think the alternative is so A-OK. I, I don't think the Bucks losing this game in that fashion, I don't think we would have been cool with it. So this win is even better when you consider what the alternative might have been had this game gone slightly differently. Kind of feels like the Bucks stole this one. They shot poorly from three. Worst game of the year from three. Giannis played, quote-unquote, bad. Still had 26 points and 18 rebounds. I, I love that I love that Jimmy Butler and Giannis are being lumped into the same boat here. Oh, Butler and Giannis both played terrible. Okay, well, Butler had four makes on 22 attempts for 17 points, 10 rebounds. Giannis had 10 more points. He almost had 10 more rebounds, and he was more efficient. Don't lump those two together. Giannis wasn't as good as normal, but it's not like he was a nightmare. Jimmy Butler played one of his worst games, I think, as a member of the Heat, at least that I've seen in big moments in the playoffs. I'm sure he's had some random, terrible game against Orlando that nobody watched and nobody cared about. Right? I think the Bucks stole this one. 1 p.m. start, like we said. They shot terribly. There was extra pressure after playing Miami last year. What happened? And they still got the W. Right? And, and think of the theme of the last few years when the Bucks have lost in the postseason or lost in big games. Right? Bucks shoot really badly from three. And then Bud goes into the press conference and say, well, you know, the other team did a really good job making shots. And, you know, our guys got to be better. They know that. And as the series goes on, we're going to be better. And we're going to hit those shots. And it's like, okay, it's the same old story. The Bucks don't shoot well. The other team does. And we're supposed to expect that the math just balances out. And as you know, against the Raptors, it did not. Fred Van Vliet kept going. Nikola Miritich did not. Against the Heat last year, same thing. Bledsoe was still terrible. And Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero killed the Bucks slowly over five games. Drew Holiday, after the game yesterday, said, we don't need to make threes to win. Shot terribly from three. We were still able to get the win. We don't need to shoot well. That's what we do. Um, we don't need threes to win. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. We do a lot of everything. Um, we can shoot threes, but uh, I think point, paint points, uh, we do really well at getting to the free throw line, being physical in the paint. Um, we do really well at So uh, that's kind of been our motto the, the, the whole season. And then um, the threes will fall. The, the, the threes are going to come. Maybe let's not obsess over the threes. Maybe let's, let's think about this in a broader sense. The Bucks won ugly, right? For, forget the three-point shooting. Let's not bog down on that. Just think of the game as a whole and every statistic and everything you saw with your eyes and everything you felt while watching this game, everything you experienced, really. The Bucks won ugly. This game did not go according to plan. They fell down early. They didn't shoot well. Their offense wasn't clicking early. Giannis tweaked his elbow and, and wasn't good, and they weren't good from the free throw line. It, nothing about this game was smooth. Nothing about this game from Milwaukee went according to plan. The Bucks don't typically win ugly. The Heat, now that's a team that's designed to win ugly. Like, Jimmy Butler is not an efficient player. Jimmy Butler thrives. In, like, he'd be a great Wisconsin Badger. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't really do anything amazing. He's not an amazing three-point shooter. He's not amazing from the mid-range. He's not an amazing passer rebounder. But he does everything really well. And he takes advantage of opportunities. When the game gets ugly, when he has an opportunity to muck things up, and the Heat have opportunities to win their way and win ugly, the Heat can do it. Now, the Bucks last couple of years haven't really shown the capability of doing that. If the shooting numbers aren't there, if they don't get the whistle, if they're not 100% healthy, oh no, woe is us, the Bucks lose. Yesterday, that wasn't the case. A lot went wrong, and the Bucks were still able to win. So forget the three-point shooting. Let's not obsess about that. They won ugly, I think, which is the biggest takeaway. And we talked about this idea last week, right? Malleability or versatility. I think the Bucks are a more versatile team than they have been the last two years, which is a big factor in winning ugly. 
If you win ugly, it means you were able to play a different style of basketball. You were able to go outside of your comfort zone. You were able to play in a way that you don't like to play, but you're still capable of playing. And I think the small roster changes that they made this year gave them the versatility, gave them the malleability to go into a game like that on Saturday, not really have it go all that well, and still come out on top. Right, Drew Holiday. The addition of him, a huge upgrade. A huge upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. And I don't remember who I heard made this comparison, but I thought it was an apt one. Very similar to the way that Toronto upgraded from DeMar DeRozan to Kawhi Leonard. Maybe not something you noticed a ton in the regular season. I mean, in 2018-2019, I, I never thought like, oh my God, I'm terrified of Kawhi Leonard. Right? They, they're the same Raptors team they had been the last couple of years. But in moments here and there, and in specific spots in the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard was so much better. You saw that with Drew Holiday yesterday, especially defensively near the end. Nobody shot well, not even Drew, but he still made a huge difference yesterday. P.J. Tucker, the stats don't jump out, but he gives them options. P.J. Tucker, Drew Holiday, give the Bucks options. They're malleable. They can adapt, and they can ebb and flow for what the situation demands. Right? They can go bigger. They can go smaller with shooters, and they don't really have to sacrifice anything defensively. I think Bud handled his bench really well yesterday. Right? There were guys who went cold, so he didn't really give them unnecessary run. Like Pat Connaughton. Okay, you did a couple good things, but you're not shooting the lights out. Ten minutes is good enough for you. Same with Bryn Forbes. You get 14 minutes. You got a couple nice buckets. You took Andre Iguodala to the cup, which is a great sign of things to come, hopefully, for the Bucks and what they're able to do against Iguodala when he's on the floor. But Bryn Forbes wasn't shooting the lights out. Okay, play 14 minutes. That's all we need. Bobby Portis, 18. Right? P.J. Tucker, 18. Like, like we didn't overdo it with any of the bench players. Coach Bud didn't didn't try to prop up one of the bench players yesterday. He just realized, okay, none of these guys really got it going. We'll use them when we need, and that's it. Also, Jeff Teague didn't play, which I think is significant because I think 2019 Coach Bud, 2020 Coach Bud, would have played Jeff Teague yesterday, and he didn't. He let it ride with his starters, which I think was a really good shot. I think everybody played their role well. Coach Bud set up everyone well. Nobody on the bench played more than 20 minutes. Great. Dante DiVincenzo, five shots and a bunch of rebounds, a couple assists. That's awesome. Take what, you're, take what you're given and, and try for nothing else. Perfect role for Dante. Middleton, 22 shots. Love it. Drew Holiday, slightly less. 18 shots. Great. Brooke Lopez right in the middle. Like five to ten shots, couple of threes. Great. Awesome. Everybody fit the role. And, and, and that's credit to Coach Bud. I think credit to Coach Bud for not like trying to prop up his bench guys and to get his bench guys to work. He realized that there wasn't much going on. Okay. So we're going to use you when we need you. And that's it. And if that all maintains and everybody can continue to play their role and only their role, and Giannis gets a little bit better in the next game, plays a little bit better, they make some free throws, they make some threes, the Bucs should really be able to handle this series. And I know if you're not a Bucs fan, or maybe you're a, a pessimistic Bucs fan, you might be thinking, well, Grant, Jimmy Butler played terrible. That's not going to continue either. Yeah, Jimmy Butler didn't play great. 4 of 22, 17 points, he had 10 rebounds. He just didn't look great. Seven of those 17 points came from the free throw line. He's still very good at getting to the line. That's one thing that Jimmy Butler does exceptionally well. Probably the only exceptional part of his game. He's pretty good at everything. He is exceptional at getting to the free throw line. I know Jimmy Butler had a bad game, and you don't expect that to continue, but like that's the Drew Holiday effect. That's the P.J. Tucker effect. Last year, the Bucks didn't have an A-plus matchup to put on Jimmy Butler. It's like, well, Giannis kind of works, but he's better off ball, and Middleton kind of works, but you more so want him offensively. Now they can stick Drew on him. Or they can stick P.J. Tucker on him. And I know Jimmy Butler probably won't play that poorly again, but I'm not expecting him to go off for 40 as long as Drew or P.J. Tucker and the rest of that defense collectively continues to guard him that way. Like, that's that's kind of the hand Jimmy Butler was dealt. 
We'll talk more about upcoming game two, which is tonight. I have some feelings on how I think I, I, I might approach that game, and I have some feelings on how I think that game might go. Just based on some historical precedent, I, I pulled a game that the Bucks played in 2019 against the Raptors that I think is a good comp. I found uh, a Cavs-Warriors bunch of games from the 2017 finals also I think are a good comp, or maybe it was the 2018 finals. They're a good comp. I think I have an inkling on how tonight's game might go. We'll talk more about that as the show goes along. Coming back, I want to hear a little bit from Drew Holiday, a little bit from Giannis. Not a lot. I don't want to spend the whole show listening to bits of press conferences today, but I thought they said some interesting things, and we can use those things, for lack of a better word, as as a jumping-off point to kind of continue this conversation. I want to talk about some of the other games as well because it was an amazing weekend of NBA basketball. That coming up at 435. We'll get into the Brewers right before 5 o'clock. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. He's just always so level. You know, obviously the first game of the playoffs, everyone's amped up, big game. It's given a preseason game to him. I think he would have been the same way, you know, in the moment, shooting the ball and everything. Uh, and I just tried to give him a good screen to get him open. And he made a fantastic play as usual. Lopez, who always sounds like a cartoon character. I mean, he looks like a cartoon character, too, but when you're seven feet tall, I guess that's kind of unavoidable. Talking about Chris Middleton's game winner, all the Bucks players were just kind of incredulous in their pressers when they're asked about that shot. They're like, well, of course he hit it. Of course, that's what he does. That's Chris Middleton. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Talking about a Bucks win. We're going to talk about the Brewers winning two of three going to talk about the Brewers moving into tonight's series. I thought today was a big moment for the Brewers. I thought it was a good moment for David Stearns today. I, I don't think today is a good moment for Craig Council. I'm actually going to disagree with something Craig Council did. Kind of, He's kind of on my list right now. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Talk Brewers coming up at 445. I want to talk about the rest of the NBA coming up in about 10 minutes because this weekend was just... Oh, it was excellent. It was just me and my recliner. It's been a lot of quality time together. I left my house once yesterday, and it was to go buy a thing of ice cream and a box of chicken and a biscuit crackers. A lot of golf, a lot of basketball, baseball. I didn't watch any hockey, although I watched some highlights, and man, that looks like a whole lot of fun. So hockey fans, I'm imagining you're having a good time as well. Not my thing, but I can appreciate it. I just, I don't, I don't have time to do all the sports. I need to pick and choose, uh, and I apologize. Hockey sometimes get, gets slid off the list. 608-796-2558. It's the talk and text line. Derek reaches out and says, great call, Grant. Said on Friday, we may have a great weekend of Wisconsin sports and a lot to talk about. See, Derek, <laughs> I don't remember saying that, but that's, that's a very good statement to make, saying that we might have a great weekend of sports and a lot to talk about. Either way, we were going to have a lot to discuss. I'm glad that, uh, that it did turn out to be a very good weekend. I agree for the Bucks and the Brewers both. Nitch and Madison says, you are 100% correct. Uh, winning ugly is a good thing this time of year because the Bucks don't normally win ugly. They are no longer soft. Yeah, I know we're getting bogged down in the three-point shooting and, oh, they didn't they had a bad night from the free throw line and they made mistakes here and there. Stop dwelling on the tiny little details. Let's just go big picture, say the Bucks won an ugly game yesterday, which isn't something they've been good at the last couple of years. That's the Heat's specialty. That's, that's their speciality, as Obi-Wan once said about Sith Lords, which made no sense because they all died to Sith Lords, but that's... That's not the point. The Bucks win games when everything goes correctly, when everything falls in line. We're shooting good from three, and Giannis is in space and getting calls, and if none of that happens, it all comes tumbling down like a 
juggler perched precariously on a tightrope. Yesterday, they dealt with some adversity, or I guess it was Saturday. Things didn't go well, and they were still able to win, which bodes really, really well. Now, game two will no doubt be different, as will game three, four, five. But in the setting of game one and what it told us, hopefully, about moving forward, I feel, I feel very good. Feels like they stole that game. They won a game that maybe they didn't have any business winning, especially the last two years. Appreciate the text, Mitch. I agree with you wholeheartedly, mostly because you're agreeing with me. So we got an echo chamber going on here right now. Thank you for complimenting me and agreeing with me. That's really all I seek every night from 4 to 6 p.m. I think it's interesting. The Bucks and the Brewers both this weekend kind of won in similar ways, right? The Brewers on Saturday, or uh, the Bucks rather, as we said, winning ugly. Everything didn't go perfectly. And then yesterday, Freddie Peralta has a game where he really couldn't command his pitches. He couldn't locate, and he still just fought through it. Now, he got run support, but it's not like he gave up five runs. He gave up a couple hits, a couple of knocks, and, of course, a home run to Winker, because why not? Uh, but I thought Freddie Peralta fighting through adversity to win. The Bucks fighting through adversity to win. Very similar, and I thought that connection was, was worth mentioning. Drew Holiday spoke to this and said, yeah, when things don't go well, we have the heart. We have the fight. It's just the fight that we have. Um, I do feel like we have a lot of talent, but we have a lot of heart and we have a lot of fight. Um, we, we, we never give up. So, uh, again, this is going to be a challenging series. It's going to be fun. And every day, every game, I feel like it's going to come down to this. But <clears throat> we know that. And, and we want to play, play harder than, than the Heat do. So, After last year, if you ask, all right, Bucks, Heat, who has more heart, who has more grit, who plays harder, 10 out of 10 people are saying Miami. And they probably would still say Miami. I think Miami is probably still a more rugged team. They're just not as talented this year as they were last. They got some regression, especially high-volume three-point shooting regression from somebody like Tyler Hero. Jay Crowder's also not on the squad anymore. And Trevor Ariza and Andre Iguodala, they're just, with every year they grow older, they're not as good. I mean, Bryn Forbes took Iggy to the cup yesterday. Like, decisively took him to the cup. Right? Now, the Bucks are the more talented team. But they also needed to be gritty to an extent on Saturday, and they showed that. Drew Holiday, as we we mentioned this in the Erling segment, but I'll, I'll play it again. Drew Holiday says we don't need to make threes to win. That's what we do. Um, we don't need threes to win. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. We do a lot of everything. Um, we can shoot threes, but uh, I think point, paint points, uh, we do really well at getting to the free throw line, being physical in the paint. Um, we do really well at So uh, that's kind of been our motto the, the, the whole season, and then um, the threes will fall. The, the, the threes are going to come. Versatility, malleability, winning in more ways than one. Don't have to make threes. You have to have a certain amount of fight. Very sharp comments from Drew Holiday. Mark texts in and says, Middleton is over 50% shooting in the playoffs in the final seconds. I heard the TV broadcast after the game. An interesting stat. Not sure how relevant. Mark, I have no clue whether that's true or not, but it's pro bucks and it helps me make my point today. So I'm going to operate under the assumption that that statistic is true. It is interesting and relevant. Thank you for sharing. Uh, direct that text to all the Middleton haters that might be listening. I wanted to hear from Giannis just for a sec before we take a break. He was asked to comment on a comment that he made last week. Remember when Giannis, this is from last week, saying, I like the pressure. You know, I believe in that pressure is earned. You know, if I wasn't who I am today and I didn't work as hard as I work and I didn't focus in the game and didn't love the game and didn't compete the way I am, we wouldn't be talking about pressure. Pressure is earned and I, I love it. You know, I'm out there, I want to compete and I want more pressure because the better I get, the more pressure I have. So that was last week. Jim Ozarski after the game, Journal Sentinel, says, you say you like to be challenged. You say you welcome the pressure. And and Jim, I guess, just assumes Giannis was challenged in this game. Giannis disagreed, but responded and talked about some of the adversity that he faced on Saturday. Who said who said that I was challenged? Your, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. That's your opinion. Uh, so... Uh, I was just trying to play basketball, try to enjoy the game, 
you know, there's going to be times that good things don't happen. There's going to be times bad things going to happen. And, uh, you know, my motto is don't ask, don't expect, don't, don't beg. Just keep playing the game. And uh, that's what I try to do tonight. And that's what I'm going to keep doing moving forward. You know, don't, don't get too high, don't get too low. Just one, it was one game. And uh, we just got to lock in, see what we did well today, see what we did not do well, and um, try to lock in for the second game. Stay aggressive, which, of course, he said that. At the end of the day, he just has to stay aggressive. That's basically every Giannis answer. I do want him to stay aggressive. Yes. Can I compare Giannis to Dalvin Cook for a moment? I, I, think, I think, talk about aggression and volume especially. Because I think Giannis sometimes equates aggression with volume. Like, I need to take a certain number of shots. I need to get a certain number of looks. And he's a two-time MVP. So, yes, in in a sense, he does need a certain amount of attempts. He should be attempting a certain amount of shots every game. He's not Dante DiVincenzo where it's like, well, I didn't have any opportunities. I took five rips, and, and that was it. Giannis does need to take a certain number of attempts. But like Dalvin Cook, and this is a point that I made a lot during the NFL season last year, like Dalvin Cook is an amazing running back. But the Vikings could take away five or six carries from him every game to distribute elsewhere. And Dalvin Cook would probably have the same stat line, right? Like the Vikings' job offensively and their goal should be to say, okay, we gave him 29 carries and he ended the game with 120 yards and a touchdown, right? What if we take those 28 carries and we find like the four or five least efficient carries in the game that we gave him and we make it a goal to eliminate those carries and give another target to Thielen, another to Jefferson, another carry to Madison. If you eliminate the inefficiencies and you trim the fat, Dalvin Cook will still probably have eh, 110 yards and a touchdown. His stats don't drop off. His impact doesn't drop off. You're just about trimming the fat. So my challenge to Coach Bud and Giannis, although I want him to stay aggressive, look at this stat line from yesterday. 10 of 27 with three three-point shots. He missed all three, 26 points. Not that efficient. Where can you trim the fat in that game? Fine, three or four shots where you're like, okay, I want to be, you want to be aggressive, Giannis, but like, this is a shot you don't need to take. Take those couple of attempts, trim the fat, and give another couple of looks to Middleton, another couple of looks to Drew Holiday, and the entire offense will be more efficient because of it. Doesn't mean he's not being aggressive. He's being tactful. He's being efficient. And I think Giannis and Dalvin Cook, especially the way the Vikings manage Dalvin Cook, it's much more about their offensive coordination than it is about Dalvin himself. Right? I think there's a lot of similar similarities there, and I know that's something we've talked about before. I, I thought it was comparable and pertinent. Let's take a break. I want to talk about some of these other games. Your comments still welcome on the Bucks. You can keep texting, and we'll get to them. 608-796-2558. We'll get into the Brewers at 445 as well. My name, Grant Bills. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Rolling on, my name Grant Bills. An excellent weekend for Wisconsin sports. And I don't I don't think I predicted that. I got a text from Derek who says, Great call, Grant. You said on Friday that we may have a great weekend of Wisconsin sports and a lot to talk about. I I don't know if I can get credit for that. Like the Bucks and the Brewers might win this weekend, but I'll i I'll take it. Thank you, Derek. 608-796-2558. Bob says, for the Bucks, an ugly win is still a win. Butler couldn't throw it in the ocean. Bam couldn't hit a shot. Giannis couldn't hit a free throw. The Bucks couldn't hit a three. Sloppy game, but it's a win. I think it's a good sign because the Bucks the last couple of years haven't been able to win ugly. Now, 
I will feel a lot better if the Bucks win tonight and shoot the lights out and Giannis looks smooth and they blow the heat out of the gym, which I don't think is outside the realm of possibility. And I'll explain why as the show goes along. Uh, I want to get into some other NBA games and I want to talk about the Brewers coming up in about 10 minutes. But I, I do think that the Bucks might look really good and I think they might dispatch of the heat quite quickly tonight. And I have some examples. I have some evidence to explain why. I'm not just talking about a gut feeling. That would be the lamest segment ever. I have a couple of examples on why I think that might be in store for the Bucks in the heat tonight. Appreciate your text. You can also tweet at me at Wisco Grant if you'd like to do that. If Twitter is your thing. Richie says, I'm a Penguins fan. So Bucks and Pens playoff games simultaneously with Brandon Woodruff. I don't know how I'm going to manage. Yeah, uh, I just managed by not watching hockey, but that's obviously not your thing. It's not your thing, Richie. Uh, I I just, I got to pick and choose. I can't watch it all. I tried to watch a little golf yesterday too, and I just, it's a lot. It's a lot at once. I agree. Which is, it's a good problem to have because a year ago at this time, I think we were watching Peyton Manning and Steph Curry golf for like charity money or something. Or is that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning? I don't know. Who cares? I don't need to think about last year. I don't think any of us want to think about last year. I want to talk about a couple of these games from yesterday. Yesterday felt like the day sports really came back in full force, hopefully for good, right? Madison Square Garden was packed. The crowd at the PGA Championship behind Phil Mickelson was packed. It was a really cool photo op, although I don't know if it was entirely safe um, for the for the golfers, but it sure made a good picture, which I guess is, is part of the, the theater of sports too, so it's something you got to deal with. It feels like it carried from like noon to pert near midnight last night. I was on the couch all day. I didn't miss anything. And I don't really care too much about like the Grizzlies, but I watched last night still. And I think it's for the same reason that I watched during March Madness. I don't care about 90% of the teams that are playing during March Madness, but it's this big event and they're all playing at once. So while I would never watch Texas Tech play Sam Houston State, well, if they do it as part of March Madness, well, of course I'm going to watch. Of course I'm going to watch. Why would I not? It's March It's March Madness. And I think the first round of the NBA playoffs, a similar principle is at play, especially after last year when we really didn't get it. Like, we were denied it in the spring, and then by the time the bubble came together, half the teams didn't even want to be there, and it was just, it was lame. I want to talk about some of these other games, and a couple of them relate to the Bucks. I think Phoenix-Los Angeles was the game I was most looking forward to yesterday, Suns-Lakers. I was most excited to watch this game. This game is a, a silver lining kind of a benefit of a season that was really, really bad in that superstars were hurt and the season wasn't fully representative of who is best and who is worst. Like, the Lakers aren't a seven seed. They're not. But LeBron got hurt and Anthony Davis got hurt, so they slide down to the seven spot and we're left with this really intriguing series where the seven-seeded Lakers are minus 117 to still knock off the Suns. It's such a weird, 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 weird dynamic. Right? You look at, look at the Hawks and the Knicks or the Mavericks and the Clippers. Right, the Mavericks are plus 128 to beat the Clippers. The Clippers are favorites. The Lakers minus 117 to Phoenix, which is 106. Right, you never see series 2-7 with those kind of numbers. It's a, it's a silver lining to a season that was kind of a mess. So I guess we're rewarded in the end. I loved everything about that game yesterday from Devin Booker finally kind of having a platform and an opportunity to play in a game that's meaningful and to make his mark. And he did. He was excellent. Right, Mikhail Bridges is just a fun young player who not enough people know about. DeAndre Ayton had an amazing playoff debut and made Anthony Davis his, I don't even know what to say. What can I say on air? What can I? He he just beat up on him for four straight quarters, right? America's favorite stretch big Anthony Davis, who's not even tough enough to play the five. They got to have Andre Drummond out there to help him out. DeAndre Ayton just bullied him. I also 
Loved this quote that I saw from Monty Williams, the coach of the Suns. This is what he said in the huddle during the game, during a timeout. He said, this is our freaking moment early in the playoffs. I'm not trying to get to July and say, I wish we did this or that. It's right now. You guys are built for this. I love that he thinks that way. I love that he's saying, man, I know we're a young team and I know we're building for the future, but who cares? Like, let's do this now. And they really led the Lakers from wire to wire, even though Chris Paul left for a couple of minutes. And I still don't think he's fully healthy. I had a lot of fun watching that game. I had less fun watching Atlanta, New York, but it was still interesting. Like the entire story of the game just became about Madison Square Garden and how amazing it is. And it's the best arena in the world and New York, New York. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like these people have never been to a playoff game at the Bradley Center in her prime. Like, I mean, have some perspective. Have some perspective. <laughs> the premise of this series is my favorite. I'm not really that intrigued by the Knicks. They're not really that fun to watch. It's cool that they're good, but they're not really that fun to watch. The Hawks, I get really annoyed watching Trey Young, but the premise of the series might be my favorite of the entire postseason, right? It's about the matchup. The Hawks are this fast, small, lightweight, non-physical, run-and-gun team that wants to score, you know, 130, and the Knicks want to do the exact opposite. And I'm really excited to see how this plays out over the, the first couple of games, and I'm glad that game one wasn't like a decisive win or loss for one team or the other. I'm glad that it was kind of a coin flip finish because now we can come back again and still think, okay, who's got the advantage? Is it the physical Knicks or is it the fast Hawks? If the Hawks had have blown them out by 30, you lose some intrigue for the rest of the series because you start to get a picture of, of which team is going to work and which isn't. This matchup is yet to be decided still, and I like that the game was close, so we still have the intrigue of, of watching it play out it's like well maybe the Knicks can beat him up in game two and get a win right it could easily happen maybe the Hawks run and gun their way to 2-0 and they go home like I I don't know I'm glad that it wasn't a blowout yesterday the most lackluster matchup of the entire weekend might have been the night game last night which is Memphis at Utah it's 9 p.m it's the 1-8 matchup like the best players on Memphis are Dylan Brooks and John Morant aren't household names. I, I Earlier last week when we were watching the playing games, I was texting some of my friends who I, I'm constantly talking about NBA with and they're watching games. I'm like, Dylan Brooks might be the best player in the league that most people haven't heard of. I remember earlier this year watching him guard Giannis and I'm just like, man, this dude is it's tough. He's sticky. And he was amazing yesterday. And not a lot of people I think were ready to appreciate last night's game. It really wasn't that good of a game. Earlier this year, I said the Jazz are the new Bucks. Right? They're an amazing regular season team. They have a great system to play the numbers and to take advantage of a huge sample size of regular season games and run and gun their way to the number one seed, which is what the Bucks did the last two years. It's what the Jazz are doing, too. I felt very vindicated watching the Jazz lose last night. That made me feel very good. And they might still win the series, and I understand that Donovan Mitchell hasn't played yet, which is a huge factor. But so many characteristics of the 2020 Bucks showed up last night in that game. Right, like I'm watching this game and I keep thinking, like, this is the one seed in the West. Like this team, Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles. That this is the team that came out on top in the West. How? Why? You know. And I think people had that same reaction to the Bucks the last couple of years. Well, certainly last year. Maybe not two years ago because they really announced themselves. Giannis won MVP. Like, and I'm watching this game too. It's like one of their best players, Rudy Gobert. And I like Rudy Gobert. Well, no, I don't. Actually, I'm lying. I don't like Rudy Gobert. He's incredibly unlikable. I wish I could like his game. Like, I'm told, oh, he's an amazing defender. Well, then why are the Jazz, like, why can they not beat the Grizzlies at home in round one of the playoffs? Like, oh, Rudy Gobert's great. Is he really, though? Like, I understand he has long arms, and that's nice. 
And I, I get that we all want to act like he's this novelty that only I'm smart enough to appreciate. Like, oh, the casual doesn't appreciate Rudy Gobert. I watch games every night, and I know how good he is. Well, do you, though? Like, I, I understand he's great defensively, but your impact is only so large. It's like having the best right guard in football. It's like, well, you got to... And you got to watch out for the uh, watch out for the Chargers this year. Their right guard is, oh, God, no one can touch him. He's so good. Okay. Well, how many games is that going to win him? And I know football and basketball are very different sports, but the impact of Rudy Gobert and how he can control a win or a loss, like there's a ceiling. Like he can only do so much. He's a big who's not even that good offensively. He's got long arms. And everyone wants to act like, oh, my God, he's so slept on. No, I think he's rated perfectly. Like I, I just kept watching that game last night. I'm like, this is the one seed in the West. Their best player is Rudy Gobert. I'm just bored by it. And last year, I didn't really understand why the Bucks were getting so much hate. And now maybe I kind of understand because we're told and we're lectured how good the Jazz are. Oh, my God, their system is so good. Their shooters are so good. And then you watch them in the playoffs and you're like, this team? They're playing Pat Connaughton in 26 minutes. Wait, you want me to be scared of this Bucks team? Jordan Clarkson, I know he's going to win sixth man of the year, but like George Hill was sixth man of the year caliber the last years. Then you get to the playoffs and you're like, this team is so underwhelming. We're so tired of this team. I feel about the Jazz. And saying that they're the new Bucks, I think, like, if they lose in round two, I think they'll probably beat the Grizzlies. But let's say they don't or they lose in round two. We look back and we think, okay, yeah, they're just a year behind where the Bucks have been. Right? Win a bunch of regular season games. You know, fail the first year. Come back the second year. Win more games. And then you fail worse in the postseason. They're right on schedule for what the Bucks have been doing. I know that the NBA playoffs are the storyline, the NHL, and, and there's a lot going on. And baseball might be kind of swept under the rug. I want to talk about the Brewers for a couple of minutes before 5 o'clock. We have to get to them in the first hour. I think today was a brilliant day for David Stearns. I'm a little bit unhappy with Craig Council. I'll explain why. Big day for the Brewers today. Talk about that next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Rolling on. I hope you had an excellent weekend. And if you had nothing going on, it's a lot of weddings this weekend. We're getting close to graduation time. So I hope, personally, you didn't have anything like that going on. Like, if you had a family member that got married, okay, good like good for them. But this weekend was supposed to be about sports. And I hope you got to enjoy all the sports. NBA games all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Golf, Phil Mickelson was awesome. Hockey was awesome. Sunday night baseball was awesome last night for what it's worth. And the Brewers won two of three Hopefully turning the corner. Staying above 500, winning for Freddie Peralta. Freddie didn't even have his best stuff. Still able to get it done yesterday. They're back in action against the Padres at Miller Park. Tonight, 6.05 pregame. So Bucks, Brewers, you might have to get two screens going at once. My name is Grant Bills. So you can text the show if you'd like. 608-796-2558. can tweet me and follow me at Wisco Grant as well if you're on Twitter. I know the story today is... The NBA, NHL playoffs, a lot of urgency, right? But I, I wanted to get to the Brewers for a few minutes before 5 o'clock, and we'll get back into them at, like, 5.30. But I took some flack on Twitter last night for watching Sunday Night Baseball. I tweeted about it. And I didn't appreciate that flack, okay? One, I was watching both, okay? I was watching baseball on my computer, and I had the NBA game on the TV, all right? Second, you're welcome Because I watched it, so you don't have to. So don't rip me for watching sports events that you don't find relevant. Because you know what? You're welcome. Then you can tune in. I will have seen it. So if anything important happens, which something important happened, I want to talk to you later. 
You didn't have to. You didn't have to spend time watching. So, first of all, for those of you who are coming at me mighty aggressively on Twitter last night, I was watching more than one thing at once, and I was watching it so you didn't have to. So you're welcome, right? More on that. Sunday Night Baseball, the state of offense in the MLB and the Brewers at 5:30. It's going to be rough. By the way, I was listening to both as well. I had Sunday Night Baseball next to me in my ear, and the TV turned on. I can listen to two things at once because I'm built different. So I'm a little tired of being doubted on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Please and thank you. Uh, the one Twitter user knows exactly who he is. Didn't appreciate it. That's all. I want to talk about the transactions that the Brewers made today. They were officially announced by the Brewers at like 2.15, all they were reported earlier in the day. They brought some guys up, sent some guys down, most notably Keston Kira coming back from AAA. Alec Bettinger back down to AAA Nashville, and Jace Peterson was brought back only to be DFA'd very ruthlessly by the Brewers. Keston Hira coming up is obviously the significant move. In his time in the minors, six games, 438, 14 hits, six doubles, three home runs. I'm not arguing that he's ready to come back. I'm not arguing that he will continue his production level at the major leagues at the same level. I'm just sharing the details, okay? I saw varying levels of agreement on social media today about whether he's ready to go or whether he's not. Some of you are highly doubtful. Some of you are very optimistic. I think I'm in the middle. I'm hopeful. Right, I'm hopeful that he comes up and he starts putting the bat on the ball because that's what he does. The man can hit, which is always what we hear. So I'm, I'm hopeful. The way I see it, by calling up Keston Hira today, David Stearns has taken some of his chips and pushing them into the middle of the poker table. Pushing them in. I mean, think of the variables that David Stearns is dealing with at the moment. Right? The Brewers' starting pitching has been tremendous. However, they're hovering around 500 despite once being seven games over because they can't score runs. Okay, so let's let's, let's think about what's going on right now. Colton Wong is scalding hot, even though I still get texts every day saying that, that the Brewers have no good hitters. I think Colton Wong would have something to say about that. Avi Garcia is hitting with power right now, so he might be ready to go on a tear, or we might be seeing him in the middle of just a really good stretch right now. Christian Yelich yesterday had two hits, including a home run, which we desperately needed to see. Even Adames, my bad, by the way, I was calling him Adams on Friday. He showed us something offensively. Offensively, this team is as healthy as it's been all year, right? Also, starting tonight, we're about to go Woodruff and Burns. And you got to feel confident about that. You got to feel confident about everything I just said between Wong, Avi, Yelich, Adamas. If you go back even a couple of more days, Jackie Bradley Jr. showed some success last week, right? And we're about to come to the top of the order in the pitching rotation. David Stearns is looking at all of that all the details that I just mentioned, and said, you know what? Screw it. Let's call up Keston here and can't, let's see if this can't get hot. Let's see if the team can't get hot. I really botched my words there. Let me repeat that statement. <clears throat> David Stearns looks at all that, everything I just said, and is saying, screw it. Let's call up Keston here and see what happens. Because we have all the makings right now of a team that could catch lightning in a bottle. They could get really hot, win 14, 15 out of 20 games. Why not? I mean, you listen to press conferences. Jackie Bradley Jr. last week and Christian Yelich and Corbin Burns all said the same thing. It's baseball. We play 162 games. We're not going to win them all. We're going to have good stretches. We're going to have bad stretches. Right now, we're in a bad one. And soon, we'll get it going and we'll look back and laugh at the games that we were losing. It's part of the game. We'll get hot soon. Right now, we're just not hot. Well, everyone seems to believe that there's a hot streak waiting in this team. And I think David Stearns looks at all the ingredients and says, you know what? I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to see if I can't kickstart this team by putting all my chips to the middle of the table, letting it ride, and see what happens. Because Colton Wong's hot. Avi's hitting for power. Yelich had two hits, including a bomb yesterday. Adamas seems to be good. 
Jackie Bradley Jr. shown signs, we're all healthy, and we're about to go Woodruff and Burns. Why not call up Keston and see if this team can't just light it up? Everybody keeps saying, we're going to get hot, we're going to get hot, so why not? Why not? Now, the only issue this week is I wish the schedule is a little bit more favorable. I'm not saying that the Brewers would need to be playing the Pirates, but there is a world in which the Brewers play amazing the next three days and still drop two of three because the Padres are that good. Now, I think the Brewers and the Brewers players, just listing to them in press conferences, I think they're smart enough to realize that. Like, they could play a couple really good games, trend correctly offensively, still lose, and I think they would understand. But I really wish they had a powder puff opponent right now. Like, I wish they were playing the Pirates or, heck, even a more middle-of-the-road team like the Cubs who held on and beat the Cardinals last night. More on that game later, as I've previewed a bunch of times. I'm really excited to talk about it. That's my only concern, is that they're playing the Padres. So there's a world in which this Brewers team does get hot offensively, and they still end up losing a few here because the Padres are a really, really good team. And especially after they played the Brewers, they've been excellent. They've been near the top of the the league, win-loss-wise. I think David Stern saw this and said, you know what? Yeet. Let's, Let's go. Like, let's see if this team can't catch lightning in a bottle. The one thing that I don't like is that Craig Council rolls out this lineup that I don't understand. Okay, they're going against Blake Snell, so I get maybe you want to keep Yelich out of the lineup. But why is Tyrone Taylor hitting third? Avi Garcia is hitting fourth. Why are those? Why is Tyrone Taylor? What is the, I, I get that Tyrone Taylor is an extra outfielder. I really, really, really do. Like, good for him. There are worse guys to have. But why are we hitting him third? Right? And, like, Christian Yelich is an MVP. I think you got to play him. Unless they're resting him a little bit, which I, I would understand. All right, fine. I, I get that. Tonight would be a really good night for Keston here as a righty against Blake Snell to really kind of get it going. You know what I mean? Tonight would be uh, tonight would be excellent. We talk about how they're lacking a right-handed power bat. Well, Avi's feeling it. Who's to say Keston here doesn't jump on the pile as well tonight? More Brewers talk at 530. I want to get back into the Bucks. Talk about Saturday preview tonight just a little bit. I think I have a feeling on how this game's going to go. I'll give you some evidence as to how that's going to happen, too. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. Middleton with two. Middleton, you bet! He got it with point five to go. Chris Middleton puts the Bucks up two. Chris Middleton, isolation situation. What was the setup on that play? Um, honestly, to get him a good shot. Uh, we had him come up in the five up, but it, it, it was Trevor and came in, made a great move. Went back to, to, to Duncan and shot a fadeaway. And that's what he does, man. That's what he gets paid for. That game three loss, I, 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 I was ready to be done. If I would have been a reporter at that Mike Budenholzer press conference, I would have become the person who threw the shoe at George Bush. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Oh, I love Chris Middleton. He's not a perfect player. No one's saying he's Clay Thompson. No one's saying he's Reggie Miller or Michael Jordan. But aren't you just happy for Chris Middleton? The man is constantly the scapegoat for whatever goes wrong with this Bucks team. For whatever coaching errors Coach Bud makes, the shortcomings of Eric Bledsoe, the putrid performance of Nikola Mirotich, like, like Giannis missing free throws, whatever's gone wrong with the Bucks last couple of years, it's always been on Chris Middleton. From Bucks fans, who should know better, but also from the national media where it's like, Colin Cowherd's like, oh damn it, I didn't watch the Bucks. Uh, well, I'll blame Chris Middleton. 
It's all on Chris Middleton as the number two. It's like, shut up. It sucks. Chris Middleton's in a terrible spot because he just gets blamed for whatever. Nobody knows any better anyways, especially outside of the scope of Wisconsin media. And to be fair, a lot of people who work in Wisconsin media aren't smart enough to discern what is and what isn't Chris Middleton's fault. He takes a lot of hate. That shot, watching it go in, watching the fans in the plaza, and watching Chris Middleton show some emotion, which he never does, running down the sideline. Oh, my heart. That's what sports are all about. And I know that sounds super corny, but, like, we can't just be happy for championships. We can't just be happy for wins. We got to take appreciation in those moments as well. And that one felt good. Couldn't have happened for a better man. I'm glad that Chris hit it. Wouldn't have wanted any other buck to make that shot. Not Pat Connaughton, no. Just, just so we're all clear. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. It was a good weekend of Wisconsin sports. I was hopeful when we said goodbye on Friday that maybe we get two out of three from the Brewers. We did including a Freddie Pearl to win on a Sunday against Cincinnati, which just felt like, it just felt right. I like my odds against the Reds with Freddie on the hill. Brewers are back at it against the Padres tonight, as you heard our esteemed colleague and my good, good buddy, Zach Heilprin, uh, say in the update, Keston here is back, which we talked about for a few minutes. We'll talk more about the Brewers and that at, at 5.30. With this Wisconsin yep. Sports Zone Network yep. update, I'm Zach Heilprin. Yep, yep. I want to talk about the Bucks right now. Uh, and continue to discuss and break down them going up 1-0 over the Miami Heat. There's a lot to dig into. I think it's a very rich game. A lot of little content nuggets to get to first. To the phones, 608-796-2558. Hello, welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. I'm sorry I don't have your uh, your name. Who am I talking to? This is Anne. Anne, nice and to hear from you. Grant, I'm, I know you're talking about the Bucks, but I just was in my car and left. had to come in real quick. And I heard you talk about how you watched the game last night, um, Cubs and St. Louis. Yeah. Yep. I watched them, too, because I can't stand either team, and I couldn't wait to see one lose. <laughs> I was cheering for the Cubs. I was cheering for the Cubs because yeah. we need the Cardinals to too. come back down to earth. Oh, that's funny. We do. We do. And tonight, St. Louis and the White Sox, I'm rooting for the – oh, I love the White Sox, so, oh. so I'm rooting for them either way. They're, they're a fun team. <laughs> they're a fun team despite Tony La Russa. And yes. I'm, and I'm glad you called in because I, I tweeted – about it last night that I was watching Sunday Night Baseball, and everybody thought that was so dumb because there's playoff games on. I was Why? Like, oh, thank you. Oh, we're best. I found a new friend. Why? Oh. I had to t- I know you're t- I hated to interfere with your butt. No, 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 I no. had to tell you, there's nothing wrong with watching that game. Or oh, I didn't understand it, so I had to tell you, I was glued to it. And this is so. wonderful. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Not you're interrupting welcome. at Grant, all. Grant, I... I love your show, show Grant. Love it. Oh, thank you, Ann. Have a, have a wonderful night. And see, Ann, no, 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 don't worry, because you see what I did was, this is a little radio thing, or at least this is how I do it in my head. We come back from the break, right, and I say, oh, Chris Middleton, blah, 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 blah. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the Bucks, And then I take the call, so we leave this window here where if you want to mention baseball, you're going to mention something else. You don't come, no, not taking the show off the tracks at all. Now we can comment about what Ann just said. A baseball's great. Uh, I enjoyed it last night, too, and I'm glad Ann shared that. And now we can move on and talk about the Bucks. Nothing was interrupted at all. Mostly because you called it such a good time, but also I'm just a good host. I line up things well. What can I say? I'm, I'm being kind of a jerk today. Thank you, Ann, for the call. That was nice. I enjoyed that game as well. And I was, I was cheering for the Cubs, which is very weird. Uh, but I, I really hate the Cardinals. What can I say? I very much do. And they need to lose some games because they need to come back in the division standings a little bit. 608. Seven nine six two five five eight. The Bucks did win. I do want to talk about this for a couple of minutes to start the hour. We'll get into more baseball at five thirty. Chris Middleton, like we said, hitting the game winner in overtime. I think before we react to this win, 
or over or underreact or get mad or get fired up. I think it's really important to consider the other side of the coin. If the Bucks would have lost on Saturday, what would we be saying? What would we be thinking? Would we be upset? Would we downplay this loss? Let's say game one, everything remains the same. The Bucks shoot poorly from three. Jimmy Butler plays poorly. Giannis has a productive but inefficient night. The Bucks miss a lot of free throws. And let's say the only thing that changes in that game is the Heat have the ball last and Goran Dragic hits the game winner from the elbow. Just, just flip it. Just flip that one play and keep everything else constant. What would we be saying today? I think this is a really important thought experiment because it, helped, it helps give us some perspective and background on how we should feel about the Bucks winning. What would we say if they lost, right? And I think if you take away the logos of the teams and the backstories and the narratives and you just look at the numbers, this would be an easy loss to dismiss for really either team that loses, right? Let's say Team A is the Heat, but we'll take away the logo and the name. It would be easy to look at Team A and say, well, their best player, this Jimmy Butler guy, didn't play well, and they're on the road, and it's game one, and they had a week off, and it's 1 p.m. Okay, not that big of a deal. You could downplay that loss. If you look at Team B, which let's say the Milwaukee Bucks, just take away the narratives, take away everything but, but the stats. Say Team B. Well, they shot a career or a season low from three. That's not going to happen again. Right? So you can downplay this loss. They were bad from the free throw line. That's not going to happen again. They got a couple of rough calls. That's not going to happen again. Right? Their, their best player, their MVP, was productive but inefficient, and he had a, he had a weird 10-second call. That, that's weird. Right? It would be very easy for either one of these teams in a loss to downplay, including the Bucks. But you know and I know that we can't look at this game in a vacuum. We need to take into consideration the last couple of years for both the Bucks and for the Heat, especially when the Bucks and the Heat have played. Because the Bucs have kind of been bullied by Miami. Not like, maybe that's not the right word. The Heat have confidently taken care of the Bucs. They have the Bucs number for whatever reason, mentally and, and tough matchup-wise too, more so last year than this year, some personnel changes. We can talk more about that. But the, the Bucs have been outconfidenced. They've been outswaggered by the Heat. And the Heat aren't really afraid of the Bucs, which I don't know if you can say about every team in the East. Knowing what we know about these two teams, if the Bucs would have lost, flip everything. Keep the stats all the same, but flip the, the Dragic jump shot. I think we'd, we'd be frustrated today. We'd be saying, oh, nothing's changed with Coach Bud. Giannis is still trying to run into the wall at the top of the key. They're initiating offense with him instead of concluding offense with him. They're still going under ball screens against Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. I don't know why, right? We'd be saying all those things today. And I think knowing that, this win is even better. It's made even more important and more substantial when you consider the alternative, which wouldn't be good. Because I, I think despite even the numbers, we would be really frustrated and I think a little defeated as Bucks fans today. It kind of feels like the Bucks stole this one. Shot poorly. Giannis played bad. Although I, I don't really like that narrative a bunch because I, I don't think he played terribly. Like Jimmy Butler and Giannis are being put in the same boat after this game, which I don't think is fair. Jimmy Butler was 4 of 22. Giannis was 10 of 27. Jimmy Butler had 17 points. Giannis had 26 on top of three steals, which is two more than Butler. Six more rebounds and fewer turnovers. Ah, that's a lie. I made that. Oh, it is fewer turnovers. Never mind. Giannis had five. Butler had six. So I, I hate that we're just lumping both of those players in the same category. Like, oh, they both played bad. Ah, Giannis didn't play bad. He certainly wasn't efficient. He had a couple of looks that he certainly probably connects with on a better night. But Jimmy Butler may be one of his worst games of the season, maybe one of his worst games as a member of the Miami Heat, right? It feels like the Bucs stole this one. Again, a week off, a 1 p.m. start. There's extra pressure playing the Heat after last year, which is something you need to take into consideration. That's why in that thought experiment we did, like take the logos away, take the teams away. 
but we can't do that, right? We know the history of these two teams. Considering the history and, and everything that went wrong for the Bucs on Saturday, they still got the win. And it's a theme of the last few years that when the Bucs shoot poorly, right? They just, they, they don't win. They can't win ugly. And Bud always gets to the podium after the game. And he's like, well, you know, the other team made shots. And, you know, Fred Van Vliet, I can't imagine he'll still hit jumpers in two or three games. And we have Nikola Mirotic. He'll certainly get it going. Okay, well, that, we all know that didn't turn out to be the case. We've always cited math. Like, oh, it'll even out. The, op- the opposition will regress to the mean. Our team will progress to the mean because we- that's what we always do in our head as fans. Oh, the other team won't shoot that good again. Oh, and our team won't shoot that bad again. Whereas three-point shooting, especially at volume, is just a really noisy stat. There's not much that we can conclude from it. The Clippers might be a great example. The Clippers were one of the best teams in NBA history this year with volume three-point shooting. Meaning when they jacked a ton of threes, they shot insanely well which really isn't indicative of anything. That's a stat that we love to dig into, but really it just means they had a very lucky season. And what happened against the Mavericks? Oh, they got beat. I don't know if that'll continue to, to be the case, but you get my point, right? The Bucks haven't won ugly the last couple of years. When their three-point shots haven't fallen, they really haven't had a change-up. They haven't had a second pitch. And after this game, Drew Holiday, I think very astutely, and it makes me feel good as a Bucks fan, saying that, you know, like we don't need to make threes to win. Like, we have other options. That's what we do. Um, we don't need threes to win. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. We do a lot of everything. Um, we can shoot threes, but uh, I think po- paint points, uh, we do really well at getting to the free throw line, being physical in the paint. Um, we do really well at So uh, that's kind of been our motto the, the, the whole season. And then um, the threes will fall. The, the, the threes are going to come. Let's think about it more Big picture, which I think is something I'd say obnoxiously on the show. Is it? I, I don't know, right? Maybe you feel that way. Forget about the three-point numbers. Forget about the free throws, the fouls, the injuries, and just think about this game in the broadest sense possible, right? They won ugly. I think that's the, the, the broadest term we can use to describe this game. They won ugly. And in the last couple of years, they haven't really been able to do that. They have a very specific formula to win, and if it doesn't play out that way, they're kind of screwed. And then Bud goes to the podium. He's like, well, we need to be better. Our guys need to defend better and shoot better and whatever, you know, something like that. This team is more versatile. It's more malleable, right? Drew Holiday gives them more flexibility to defend Jimmy Butler. So does P.J. Tucker, and I love how everybody's saying, well, Jimmy won't play that bad again. He won't be that bad. Well, probably not, but I would have more reason to believe that Jimmy Butler has another performance like he did on Saturday then I have reason to believe that he is all of the sudden going to go off for 40, right? I think the odds are far greater that he continues to play below average than all of the sudden he jumps to above average for the next four games, and that's by design. The Bucks aren't defending people with Eric Bledsoe anymore. They're defending people with Drew Holiday. Both are great defenders, but Drew is much bigger and much stronger, and I got to say, his head's not filled with a jar of mixed nuts in the postseason, which sometimes that appeared to be the case with Bledsoe. Right? They can go bigger, they can go smaller with more shooters, and they don't have to sacrifice defense with P.J. Tucker. And I think Bud handled his bench really, really well. Right, None of them were shooting great. Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, P.J. Tucker. Bobby Portis was shooting well from the field, but I'm talking about from three. Forbes wasn't hitting, Connaughton wasn't hitting, P.J. Tucker wasn't really hitting, although he's more for defense. So Coach Bud didn't force it with any of these guys. He realized that none were shooting, so he used them only how much he needed to use them, and then he gave it back to the starters. I thought that was a good game for Coach Bud as well. I'd like a little defensive adjustment. Like, maybe let's let's start going over screens right away on Duncan Robinson. Let's not let him hit three straight to start the game before we adjust. But baby steps with Coach Bud. 
Let's go to the talking text line. Brett in lacrosse. Before I bring you in, Brett, and don't start talking because I have you potted down, so nobody's going to hear you. We have beef. So last week, you made a comment that I wish I would have addressed at the time. When I asked what's going on, you said, well, not much. I don't really have anything to say. I just wanted to call and, and say, hey, Brett, this is a serious sports show. All right? We are professionals. So don't, don't say that, right? You got you to gotta bring the heat. I'm not Jim Rome. I'm not going to cut you off. But like, hey, chop, chop. Like, you got to bring it. That being said, welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, Grant. So, yeah, some of our guys, they made some shots. Some of them missed him. Um, Giannis took a little too long on the line, so he got called for that. It just all around. It was just a. It, it was a fairly decent game, but it was a fairly bad game. But we still got the win, and that's basically all that matters. That's not a bad bud. I'd say that's six out of ten. You sound you sound mopey, right? which is which is the biggest component. You need to sound mopey, and I think you got that part down. Well. Uh, well, I know, but I can't. That's just not in my nature. Hey, you're too upbeat. You're too positive all the time. Right. Well, I don't know about positive. I just can't sound like Bud. <laughs> Most people can't. Yeah. It's a very weird yeah. voice. It's a very Crazy. weird accent. That's but, for sure. Uh, it, one heck of a weekend. It was a pretty good weekend. Uh, my boy Phil won. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, Brewers took a series finally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, here, here is on his way back up because they said he was just killing it. He is down at the al- alternate training facility with a 480 whatever with three total home runs and seven RBIs. For as long as he was down there, seven RBIs is a joke. Uh, but you know that's cool. Let's bring him up. He can strike out. More he than played somebody else, six so games. Seven RBIs is fantastic. I don't. I don't. I I completely but reject this line of toxicity that you're bringing. Triple A. Let's just hope. Let's just hope he's got it. He's I got it. Hope so. When he gets when he gets that meatball fastball right down the plate, he's got to at least make contact now rather than just swing and miss. That's a good start. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yes, I, it'll probably be a foul, but we'll work on it. Baby steps. So it, it'll be all right. And then, man, I tell you, the the Heat are gonna get hammered tonight. Just hammered. I'm thinking fifteen points. They're going to lose by 15. The The Bucks are just going to give it to them. I, They're going to teach them that, that they should be G League tonight. I, I hope so. I agree with you, Brett, and it's actually the point I was going to make next. So you brought it today, per my request. You're actually leading us into yeah, our next listen, topic. Well that, done. That little, that little lead-in complaint you had was, was next – it was last Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had talked to you later in the week, and, and we were all good. So, I know. You know I, let's just not live in the past here. I needed time to reflect and think about things. Man. No. Yeah, he had, very good he had today. To decide what to say. Yes, we, we got an impression well, from you yeah. today, and we got a prediction. So I appreciate that content, Brett. Thank you. Sure, sure. Hey, you have a wonderful rest of the show, and we will talk to you maybe later in the week. Yes, and I know you're going to bring it. I appreciate the call, Brett. And I appreciate, like, you tied it all together. Like, some callers, very specific. I have one thing to say. Brett's more of a, he's more of a national host. Like, a little tidbit here and here and there. One tidbit on Keston here. We'll get back into the Brewers at 530. Let's do Buck's prediction for tonight coming up next. Because I agree with Brett, and I'll lay out the case. I'll lay out all the evidence. I'll do the heavy lifting for uh, for Brett. He's like the lawyer who gets to preach in court, and I'm the, the paralegal that's digging up all the research to support said lawyer, which is Brett. Really quickly on Keston here, however. I got a tweet today saying that Keston here can't hit fastballs. I, like, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk to anyone who ever argues with me on Twitter, but if you go back and you look at 2019, which I think is the last reasonable year that we can look at offensively, it was also his best year 
which I'm not trying to cherry pick, but like one was a pandemic and this year he's like, I can't even do anything with his numbers. In 2019, he saw a four seam fastball more than any other pitch. He saw 504 of them. The next closest was a sinker at 273, a slider at 210, and every pitch below that curveball, cutter, changeup, splitter was 100 pitches or less. So he saw four seamer fastballs 36.5% of the time and in 121 plate appearances. He boasted a 308 batting average which was higher than every other pitch, not a splitter, of which he only saw 20 the entire season. His slugging percentage was 577, which was a million times higher than anything else. We're talking about like a .5 and a .7 against sinker slider. He's just not hitting breaking balls. His whiff rate was 31%. So he he wasn't swinging and missing at fastballs. His strikeout rate on fastballs was only 28% compared to 40, 50% on some other pitches. My point being, I say all that to say this, Keston here can hit fastballs, and I hope that we start to see that once again tonight because that's what the stats have always told us. Whether or not we saw that earlier this year, that's what he was trying to fix in the minors. We are very, very late for a break. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Brett. More Bucks talk, and we'll get into baseball coming up soon as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show after that. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name grant bills you know when i when i plan for the show i always leave a little bit of breathing room from like 5 to 520 because that's when typically callers just show up i don't know why people in the four o'clock hour it's more passive we get text and then after five people really start calling probably because most people have real jobs and they're working till at least five unlike me this is a fake job as i always say today the callers really brought it brett i think you redeemed yourself after uh, a fateful admission last week don't call in and say, oh, I don't have anything to talk about. Well, then why, why are you calling in? Bring the heat, okay? It's not the jungle. I'm not Jim Rome, but we do have to have standards here. And a new caller today, who might be the most popular person on the show, Anne, uh, in lacrosse, called in to defend me and agree with me that Sunday Night Baseball was excellent last night. Cardinals-Cubs, which is what we're going to talk about next. Next at like 5.35, 5.40. Anne, you're a hit. You're a smash hit. My mom texts the show which she listens out of love for me, not out of love for sports. My mom goes, her name's Suzanne, by the way. She goes, oh, Anne, what a sweetie. Schmidt, a regular listener, says, "Uh, hey, Grant, can you talk about the effect Pat Riley will have on this game and the culture of the Miami Heat going into game two? Also, can you give Anne my number? Schmidt, I would love to do that. I'm kind of like a doctor or a lawyer in that I have uh, client uh, host uh, privilege. I, I can't, this is all confidential information. I can't give out your number. Now, anything you send in uh, will be read on air. I think, in fact, if you call the line, there's probably a pre-recorded message that says, thank you for calling. Anything that you say will, can be broadcast on air. When it comes to the numbers, I, I want to play matchmaker, um, but I, I can't. It's like HIPAA or attorney-client privilege. It's, it's something that's got to stay on the computer. I'm sorry, Schmidt, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. And what effect will the heat culture play? Absolutely none. I think the Bucks are going to win big tonight. Nay, let me he- let me hedge my bet a little bit here. <laughs> they can win big tonight. I think the potential is there, and we have plenty of historical precedent over the last five or six years to believe so. I think that when you have a playoff series that starts the way that it did, and it's not just the case for the Bucks, the Heat Hawks game played out this way, where it was a war right down till the final possession. 
Um, what other what other games am I forgetting? There were, there were lots of close games this weekend. My point being, when a playoff game starts with a game one that goes down to the wire and both teams go at it, especially if it goes to overtime, I think we're set up for a letdown in game two, specifically for the road team. And I will share with you a couple of examples in the past of when this exactly happened. When game one is a war, right, it has some effects because in game one, all the pressure's on the home team. All the pressure's on the Bucks to hold serve, defend their home court, we hear it a million times. The series doesn't start until the, the home team loses a game. Well, if the home team loses in game one, the series becomes very real very quickly. So all the pressure is on the favorite. All the pressure is on the Bucks in game one or whoever's playing at home. And the road team comes in and plays loose. And if they lose game one, okay, whatever. We move on. We get the next one. But when game one is a war and the Heat probably feel as though that was the winnable game that they let slip away. They got lots of opportunities. Poor shooting from the Bucks, A not great Giannis performance. And an injury by Giannis. But bad at the free throw line. The Heat probably feel that that's a game that they let slip away. And I would argue rightfully so they feel that way. Duncan Robinson made, what, seven threes? When game one is a war and it's a huge letdown for the away team and the home team holds on, typically things shape up for a very lopsided game too. I found two examples today in a matter of like four minutes. I probably could have found more if I would have looked longer, but two specific games come to mind. The Eastern Conference Finals 2019, Heat, Raptors. Game one is a war. And I keep using that term very intently because that's that's what game one was. The Raptors were leading in the fourth. The Bucks come charging back in game one. It's the Brooke Lopez game. Brooke Lopez had, I believe, 13 points in game two, if I remember correct, or in game one in the fourth quarter. Like, he was nuts. He had 30 or just slightly less than 30. It was the Brooke Lopez game. And the Raptors were kind of just pushed to the side right at the end. The Bucs were able to escape and win game one and, and open one nothing in the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a war. And then what happens in game two? The Bucs smash the Raptors, 125-103. Because Toronto said, we missed our opportunity in game one. Sucks. The, the balloon was deflated a little bit, and now we just want to get home, right? That's what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and I have the statistics. Where did I lose them? Where did I put them? Oh, oh, here it is. Here it is. Brooke Lopez, yes, 13 points in the fourth quarter of Game 1. The Raptors were leading at a certain point, but the Bucks have a flurry of points at the end, and they're able to move past the Raptors. Then in Game 2, Toronto just didn't have it. The Bucks hammered them, absolutely smashed them, to the point where after that game, I'm thinking, oh, Bucks are going to the Finals. Let's go. It was that commanding of a win, 125-103 they won. And Giannis was much better in this game, in Game 2, than he was in Game 1. Like I said, Brooke Lopez kind of carried the load, and they were able to squeak out a victory at the Pfizer Forum. Another example of when this has happened, a Game 1 battle turns into a Game 2 letdown for the road team. The 2018 NBA Finals. This was a night that I will never forget. Watching the KD Warriors in Year 2 go against the LeBron Cavs in Year 2. So this is two years after the Cavs won the finals. This was the worst Cavs team LeBron took to the finals. LeBron had 51 in that game one, and they probably should have won. That's when J.R. Smith didn't know the score, and George Hill, who's an excellent free throw shooter, couldn't get it done at the line at the end. LeBron looked defeated and done after that loss because that was a game Cleveland probably should have won. They didn't, and the result result turned out to be... I don't have it in front of me. Who cares? Right, it was close. I think it was a one-possession game. LeBron had 51. He gave it all he had. And then in game two, what happens? The Warriors win by win by 18. Win by 20. Right? They win 122-103. Like, they just, they ran away with it. You could tell after that game one, the Cavs were so deflated. LeBron was so deflated. They're just like, screw this. Let's just get home. <laughs> Let's get back to home court, and we'll try to hold serve there. The game one score, by the way, was... 
Uh, game one, was it in overtime, that game? 124-114? I think it might have been. Because I think the Cavs should have probably won it in regulation, and then they were able to escape to overtime, though the Warriors did where they then won. But you get my point, right? I've, I've mixed around some statistics and botched some mental math on air. But when the first game of a series is a war, and the road team loses in dejecting fashion, they typically don't come back with a stronger effort in Game 2. So the door is here for the Bucks to come back and smash the Heat in Game 2 and really take control. It's also in the strong realm of possibility that the Bucks' three-point shooting progresses to the mean, which will be a positive development. Giannis's game becomes more efficient, which is a positive development. And who's to say Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton, or Bobby Portis don't have a game themselves, which is a positive development. I think the positive progression that you could expect from the Heat is for Jimmy Butler to have a better game. But once again, I would bet money on Jimmy Butler having another bad game before I bet money on him going off for 40. Because Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker are the guys that were designed to help against Jimmy Butler. So we expect that Butler's not going to be that bad. We probably won't be that bad. But the odds really aren't that great that he will be good either. So I think everything is pointing historical precedent, momentum, and statistical regression or progression one way or another all tilts towards the Bucks tonight. I don't know what the line is. Let's look. I'm not giving out betting advice, but it might be reflected in the line. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. I'm going to find the line from game one, the line from game two, compare them and see if Vegas agrees with the case that I've just made. I want to talk about baseball, what I saw last night, and how it impacts the Brewers. That's coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. A lot of positivity today. A lot of good things to talk about. Brewers winning two or three. Bucks going up in the series one to nothing. Brewers back in action tonight, as are the Bucks. So maybe it only maybe it only lasts a day. But if all of our teams lose tonight, I will always be thankful for this show. No matter if we got to come back tomorrow and break down losses. All right, it's fine. It's fine. We will still have today, and no one will ever take that away from us. Right before the break. I was trying to make the case that the Bucks might be due for a blowout tonight. We have historical precedent to believe that. If you believe in the law of averages and statistical progression or regression, the Bucks have a lot of reasons to think that they'll be even better tonight. And we have a lot of historical precedent of road teams that lose a hard-fought game in Game 1 typically don't show up for Game 2. That's not reflected in the lines tonight, at least in the spread. So last night's game, or I keep saying last night, Saturday's game... The Bucks were five and a half point favorites. The spread was five and a half. The spread tonight actually shrunk. Bucks minus five. Now there could be a couple of reasons for that. The Giannis injury, however bad that is, or however bad it isn't, maybe that's maybe that's impacting the spread. I also think that both NBA fandom and maybe Vegas believes that the Heat are just they're just dogs, you know. You think that one blowout isn't going to rattle this Heat team enough where they just lay down and they just, you know, play for game three at home. Which would be, I mean, it's understandable logic. It's also only half a point, so it's not like it's a ton of line movement. The over-under also got smaller. The over-under tonight for total points is 224. Game one, it was 227. Which, that doesn't make sense to me either because game one was a miserable offensive game. So now it's going to go down. I think you would have reason to expect that scoring goes up in this game. And I think you have reason to expect that the Bucks blow them out. That's not what Vegas believes in either instance, but that's why I 
you know, I don't make any money betting sports, and that's why I certainly don't win in Vegas. I want to talk about baseball, and we got a call from Ann, who was a first-time caller, and Ann, God bless you, back at 5 o'clock for calling in and saying, Sunday Night Baseball was awesome. The Cardinals, the Cubs, what a great game. What a great product. And I appreciated that call. That was wonderful. And this is something I took flack for last night when I tweeted about Sunday Night Baseball. I was like, how could you watch baseball? NBA playoffs are on. NHL playoffs are on. And I said, hey, relax, okay? I have two screens. I got my laptop, and I got my TV. And I had Sunday Night Baseball on my computer on my lap, and I had Utah Memphis on the television. And you know what? I didn't have either muted because I can listen to both because I'm built different. And by the way, if you're complaining about me watching Sunday Night Baseball, you should be thanking me because I watched the so-called boring side product that you didn't want to watch. I watched it so you didn't have to. You're welcome. And Cubs Cards was an awesome game last night. It was finally a primetime game on ESPN without the Braves, which I've been yearning for for three weeks because I'm sick of the I'm sick of the Braves. I don't want to see them on primetime anymore. Let's get some other teams in there. Let's showcase the NL Central, America's division, the division of our heartland, the Reds. Maybe ignore the Pirates, but also the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Cardinals. Some great, fun teams in the NL Central, America's division, the National League, the 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 home. The, the, the wheat belt of the National League. I don't think we actually live in the wheat belt. I think that's like Nebraska, but that's not the point. Last night's game was a very brewerish game. Cubs only had three hits for the entire game. The Cardinals had six, did nothing with them, though. It didn't end up mattering. The Cubs won two to one in extras last night. All right. It's a very Brewers type of game. Wainwright went eight innings. He was fantastic. He only gave up one hit. However, he threw 101 pitches, only had seven strikeouts, and was topping out at like 90 miles an hour. Very old-timey performance from Adam Wainwright. It was very interesting to watch. Davies, Tommy Nance, Ryan Tapera, Dan Winkler, Andrew Chafin, who looks like a puffin with a mustache, all combined to shut out the Cardinals through nine innings. Now, the Cardinals get the one run in extras off a sack fly only because that runner started at second base. The Cubs didn't even get a runner to second base until the extras when one automatically starts there, right? How nuts is that? A very Brewers game. So what we're left with is a game last night that's very winnable with only one or two runs. One run would have done it in regulation if you were able to win it in nine. So you're looking at this game and thinking, okay, great pitching, both sides only need a one or two. You need to manufacture a run or two. That's going to be enough. It doesn't even have to be pretty. And I bring this up because I feel like 90% of Brewers games this year have fit that exact mold. So it's a very, it's a very familiar feeling watching this game last night. I felt like I was at home. Felt like I was at grandma's house, smelling her home cooking, sitting and watching Jeopardy. It's like, oh yes, this is, this feels familiar. This feels safe. A nothing, nothing game through the ninth inning. Which is why I was very interested in this game, and it's why I became very interested in a specific inning in this game. Tweeted about it last night at Wisco Grant. It was the bottom of the seventh inning. This game was in St. Louis. The Cardinals had a really good chance in the seventh inning. Keeping in mind that base runners were a premium, hits were a premium. Like I said, the Cubs didn't even get a man to second base until the tenth inning because one automatically starts there. This is how the bottom of the seventh inning started for the Cardinals in a 0-0 ball game. Sosa reaches on an infield single. Okay, interesting. I got some, I have some cooking here. Then the next hitter walks. So in a nothing-nothing game with no outs, there are runners on first and second in the bottom of the seventh. St. Louis is home. The crowd is into it. And fans at this point have got to be thinking, hey, 
we can get at least one here. This is easy. We're the Cardinals. We have the Cardinals way, right? And the Cardinals way is we're not flashy. We don't care about the media or the fanboys or bat flips. We're going to bunt in runs if that's what it takes. We're going to play small ball if that's what it takes. Mike Schilt, like Tony LaRusa before he, will find a way to manufacture a run and get this done. Feeling confident. And I just sat back and was fascinated to watch what happened next. Because Mike Schilt, with his jersey tucked in like it's 2003, sends Wainwright to the plate in the bottom of the seventh, at the bottom of the order. And I didn't agree with this at the time. I'm watching thinking, look at this guy. Look at this rube. It's a nothing-nothing game. He's got two dudes on base. And in a year where everyone can pitch and no one can hit, he's prioritizing the pitching? What a rube. Pull Wainwright. Everyone's pitching this year and no one can hit. It's much harder to come by offense than it is to come by pitching. And yet Mike Schilt is going to send his pitcher to the plate. Who's like, how old is Wainwright? Like 37, 38? He might even be older than that. And he's going to send him to the plate in the biggest spot in the game where this is the best potential you've had to score runs. Two on, nobody out in a tie game. You just need to get one run. And Schilt's going to send a pitcher up there. Okay, I lean in. I'm interested. They have Adam Wainwright bunt, which isn't a, it's not, it's not a bad idea. If you're going to hit the pitcher there, okay, well then have him bunt. If he's confident in bunting and it's something you believe in, okay, that fits your MO. I still wouldn't hit a pitcher. I'd send a real batter to the plate, but I, I see the appeal. And for St. Louis, where they're you know, continuously stuck in the good old days, I get why they did it. Wainwright bunts, and it's a bad bunt. The thing is, the pitcher makes just enough of a bad throw. Well, actually, it was a fine throw. They got the runner out twice. The ump claimed that the foot came off the bag, which it didn't, and he also claimed that the tag didn't get down, which it did. So David Bodie at third base gets the runner twice. The ump calls him safe anyways, and now we have the bases loaded with nobody out. So the bunt works better than it was even designed to. It's not a sacrifice bunt. It's a bunt for essentially a base hit. The Cardinals got very lucky. They got every flip of the coin. Everything came up aces for the Cardinals in this instance. Wainwright goes up there with nobody out. He bunts, makes a bad bunt, but he gets bailed out. Now the bases are loaded and nobody's out. And the top of the order is at the plate. And all Cardinals fans have got to be thinking, all right, let's crack this thing open, win this right here and now. We have three of our best hitters coming up. Let's go. To then recap what happens next, Tommy Edmond, ground out, throw comes home, no run scores. Then Paul Goldschmidt strikes out, fouls out to the catcher. Now Nolan Arenado at the plate. Ooh, now we're a little worried. Are we seriously not going to score? What? And Nolan Arenado strikes out swinging. Ooh, brutal. In a 0-0 game that ended up going to extras, the Cardinals could not get a run across with the bases loaded and nobody out. I say all of that to say this. Number one, all teams are struggling to store right now, not just the Brewers. So when when the Brewers are done with an inning that makes you just want to pull your hair out and you're like, how can we not figure this out? We should have scored. How did we not at least get one? It's not just the Brewers. Every team is experiencing this. So acting like the Brewers are the only team that has these just incredulous moments of offensive ineptitude. Wow, listen to me. I showed up today, vocab-wise. The Brewers aren't the only team. This is happening to every ball club. Yes, even the Cardinals, who are like baseball royalty. They're like the Catholic Church of manufacturing runs. They couldn't even get it done. That's point number one. And point number two, bunting. I'm not even going to be obnoxious about how the bunt was a bad choice. It went better than it was even planned to go. But no runs scored. And this is the point that I'm trying to make. Bunting. 
sack flies, sack grounders, moving runners over. We need to ask a question when we ask for these things. Does the result of the play help you score? Does the bunt help you score? Does the bunt help you win? Or are you simply asking for it because you want to feel good about yourself? I compare bunting to field goals because all the time, NFL coaches end up kicking a field goal when they should most certainly go for it. And they give these reasons that are just dumb. Like, oh, we had this long drive. We didn't want to end up with no points. Oh, we had the ball for eight minutes. We wanted something to show for our long drive. Oh, we didn't want to end with a field. You know, we didn't want to turn the ball around downs. Well, no, you, you should go for it. And if you don't get it, okay, fine. That doesn't mean the field goal was the right choice. You're often settling with a field goal. And it's the same with the bunt. I hear all the time from people. It's like, wow, they can do it in high school. They can do it in the pros. Okay, whether that's true or not, does the bunt help you get a run? Does the bunt increase your win probability? Or does it simply move a runner over and help everybody feel good about themselves? It becomes a symbolic play. We're doing it to do it because we think it's the right thing to do, and we think it helps us feel accomplished, right? Like an extra innings. Runner starts at second. You couldn't even move him over to third. Well, who cares if he moved to third? I care if he gets home. If the inning ends with a runner on third, it makes no difference to me that you moved him over there. The result is the same. And the game is decided ultimately on a Javier Baez two-run home run in the 10th. And Alex Rodriguez was talking about this after the fact, right? Alex, they just made some dumb points. It's very clear that they don't watch baseball with these teams like we do. They're a national team, right? A-Rod is being dumb. He was praising Contreras, who was up before Baez and moved the runner over to third. He's like, well, give all the credit to Contreras. He got up there and moved the runner to third and gave Baez a chance. It's like, well, Baez hit it out anyways. It wouldn't have mattered if he was at first, second, or third. But yet that symbolic movement of second to third, we lose our mind over it. That's the right baseball play. Well, yeah, I guess it was, but did it make a difference? Did it score a run? No, the same result would have occurred. Did it increase your win probability? Eh, I don't know. Chances are Baez was either going to strike out or hit a bomb anyways. So it probably, unless you're hoping for a wild pitch, which isn't like the chance of a wild pitch is not negligible. So I'm not discounting that, but you get my point. Right? We ask for bunts. We ask to move runners over. And yes, all of those things are good, but they're not as important as we think. Because last night, the Cardinals had a golden opportunity. They dropped down a bunt. It goes better, better than they even imagine. And in the end, it didn't make a difference because ultimately, Edmund didn't get it done, Goldschmidt didn't get, didn't get it done, and Arnato didn't get it done. They went one, two, three. Nobody could get it in the outfield. Nobody could get it because that's baseball right now. And it's not limited to the Brewers. And I wanted to talk about that inning last night because it so specifically speaks to all of these things that we've been discussing on this show for weeks. And I was very excited to bring that. So thank you. If you're ticked that we're talking baseball and not basketball, all right, we'll get into basketball coming up next. If you have any final thoughts, send them to me, 608-796-2558. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show final segment. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope you had an excellent weekend of watching sports and nothing else. I hope you didn't have to go to a wedding or a graduation party. Thoughts and prayers if you did. Brewers and Bucks both tonight. It should be just a swell night of sports. Unless we go of two, then it might be kind of sad. I think the Bucks have got it tonight. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that they should win and probably win handsomely. There is the Coach Spo versus Coach Bud adjustments versus not adjustments element. 
But I, I think this Bucks roster is good enough to overcome that. Uh, we're talking about A-Rod as an analyst on uh, Sunday Night Baseball and how he just making statements last night where I was like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And here, you'll never find a tougher player. It's like you say that every week about every player on every team. <laughs> That's fine. It's a national broadcast. Duncan Holman chimes in, said, you shot Derek Jeter. You should have shot A-Rod, which, of course, is quoting the other guys. Fantastic scene. They're all fantastic. My personal favorite exchange is when he goes, I yell, let's even the odds. He throws me a Mossberg pump. I put one through his chest. Great scene. That movie will not die on this show. I'm not going out of my way to bring it up. It just keeps coming up between specifically a couple of our listeners, but it's fun. At least it's not Trailer Park Boys, although I do have that sound clip of uh, saying it's the way she goes. Oh, so you lost all our liquor money, huh? That's the way she goes. Lost all the liquor money, boys. (laughs) What? It's the way she goes. The way she goes. That's the way she goes? That's right. That's the way she goes. That's what I said. So you lost all our drink money is what she goes. I don't I don't even think that applies here. It's just funny. Sometimes she goes, sometimes she doesn't. It's the way she goes. Hopefully the three-point shooting starts to go for the Bucks tonight. I, I think we should be optimistic. The three-point shooting gets better. The free-throw shooting gets better. Maybe Middleton as, isn't as good, but you hope Giannis trims some of the fat off of maybe some of the attempts he doesn't need to take, streamlines his performance. I think Drew Holiday could have a better offensive game. And between Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, I think there's reason to believe that one of those guys might get hot from three as well, which could be a big shot in the arm off the bench, something they really didn't have in game one. I understand there's a lot of people who are reticent to really buy into the Bucks tonight, and they could they could lose. I'm just trying to think of a world in which the Bucks blow out the heat in game two because I think we have a lot of evidence. We have historical precedent. I get Spolster and Bud and that dynamic. That worries people. But I'm much more keyed in on the Heat losing in heartbreaking fashion, a game that they probably think they should have had in game one. And now they're supposed to come back in Milwaukee and try to climb that mountain again. In the past, you just see teams mail it in in game two. The Raptors did it in 2019. LeBron and the Cavs did it in the finals after LeBron had 51 and and just, I mean, the team just stumbled at the finish line in game one. And I also think all the numbers are on the Bucs' side. If you play the numbers, the silver lining, the Bucs' three-point shooting might stay bad. There literally is no possible way that it gets worse. They were, what, a season low? They had five makes, but how many how many attempts? Five of 31. They also shot 60% from the line. Now, maybe they don't improve, but there's no reason to believe. There's, I mean, it's just not realistic that they get worse in either department. I also will speak to the Jimmy Butler a little bit because I think it's commonplace for fans to look at a player who has a bad game like Jimmy Butler did and say, well, he won't be that bad again. And I... I don't think he'll be that bad again. I don't think he'll be four of 22 bad again. But once again, if we're just talking about odds, I think the odds are much greater than Jimmy Butler has another bad game than the odds are that he goes out and scores 40, right? Now, I think the most likely scenario is some sort of middle ground, but a middle ground would be a 25-point game, and he had 17. Like, the, the room to improve for Jimmy Butler, I think the margin to improve is very slim. And that's not by luck. The Bucks got... Like, specifically better, intentionally better by getting Drew Holiday to defend, and you saw that right on the final possession. He blocked the game winner, or what could have been. It would have been the game winner or the, the game tire from Jimmy Butler, either one. I don't know if it was a two or a three. I don't, I don't care. It, it didn't go in. It was blocked. And they also got P.J. Tucker, who gives them flexibility to play big and small and not give up defense in either instance. If they want to take Brooke Lopez off the floor and play with P.J. Tucker and a shooter, they can do so, and P.J. Tucker doesn't allow them to drop down another level defensively. 
And if they want to keep PJ on the bench, they can do that too. Ray's not a player that needs to be out there. And with a lineup that includes Chris Middleton and Giannis, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. And that's become the biggest cliche. Like if you talk NBA with people and they're trying to sound smart, they'll, they'll say stuff like, well, he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands to be successful. So it's a cliche that I try to avoid. You can play off ball, you can play on ball. But that's true with P.J. Tucker. That's a huge advantage they have with him. His usefulness as a player doesn't depreciate when he's on the floor, when Chris Middleton has the ball, and when Giannis has the ball, and even like Brooke Lopez. If Dante wants to, I don't know, I don't know why he would, but if Dante wanted to handle, P.J. Tucker can play defense, stand idly by, and his value as a player doesn't dip. He doesn't become a scarecrow out there, dead weight, just because he's not handling the ball. In fact, he's better playing off the ball. Bucks tonight. Brewers tonight. Let's strap in, folks. If you have two TVs, you got a laptop, figure it out. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, here on the Wisco Sports Show to talk about them both. Talk to you then.